Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paused Reviews. Oh, welcome back one and all to the Pause Reviews podcast for another spooky week. I'm your host, Frank, joined as always by my co-host, <laughs> making the weirdest face, uh, my co-host, Tim. Welcome, Tim. Welcome, foolish mortals. <laughs> Do you practice these? <laughs> I was thinking about it in my head. That's probably why the face kind of you know oh my god that's way too funny um yeah man i'm i'm kind of excited for this one just because i ended up being pretty surprised by some of the stuff um essentially in this rewind episode what we said we were gonna do is offer you guys some family friendly movies that you can watch with your kids depending on their ages that aren't overly scary overly spooky some of these are really tailored more towards the younger audience and Mm -hmm. some of these yeah and they slowly go up a little bit in age right so if you have slightly older kids if you've got like preteen kids if you got teenage kids that kind of stuff some of these might speak to those households more than others but we tried to cover sort of a larger swash of you know age ranges with these and i ended up being surprised at what i saw yeah, I, I, I think I'm ultimately glad we kind of went with what we did because I, I think my initial intention or thought, and I think you were on the board with that as well, was like, let's just do all the Halloween movies that we love. And it was like, yeah. eh, that's just going to be us going, I love this movie. And I think we'll get to that with our probably one of the last ones we'll cover today, where it's just like, there is not really anything bad I can say about this movie. And I don't know why people didn't like it initially. Um, because that's probably what I would say about I think everything we would have picked. A couple of these were probably things that I would have watched anyway or I had been thinking about watching this holiday season. And other ones are ones that I haven't revisited in a while that fit really well, just I think into the, the mold of what we were doing. So it was nice to kind of revisit some of this stuff and feed my new Reese's addiction from sit here watching Halloween movies, pop some Reese's pumpkins and call it a day. <laughs> God, Reese's cups is what I miss the most. Those are so yeah. many points. Um, so I do want to give a little disclaimer. We are recording this way earlier than we normally do. Yes. And I do not have a recording booth or studio. <laughs> and sound really travels, especially when your hyperactive seven-year-old is upstairs bouncing around like a lunatic. <laughs> so in advance, I'm also not a great editor. <laughs> so... Whatever is happening is probably going to get captured at some level, and you're probably going to hear it, and it's going to be on the episode on Thursday. Uh, But we're recording earlier because we're also attending podcast movement for the first time to try to learn some ways to better the show and that kind of stuff. But anyways, that's just my reasoning for what you are inevitably going to hear at some point during this episode. I think that's enough. And I think yeah. we should jump in. So we watched four movies to talk about today. We watched the 2019 animated remake of The Addams Family. We watched the 2009 film Coraline, also an animated film. We also watched Sleepy Hollow from, mm-hmm. I believe that one was 1999. Yep. Yep. Correct. Uh, 99 Sleepy Hollow with Johnny Depp. And then we also watched Hocus Pocus, which... I don't know, maybe 94? Yeah, if you don't know which one Hocus Pocus is, 
something wrong with you. <laughs> right. So, uh, so those are the movies we're going to be talking about today, and we'll start off with ninety three. Ninety three. Oh, I was pretty close. Yeah. What did I say? Ninety four, ninety five. Apparently, you know, ninety one, ninety two, ninety three was pretty good for Halloween movies. When you got Adam's Family and Nightmare and Hocus Pocus, like dude, right. those were some pretty clutch years for Disney in general. That's true. They were That's firing true. on all cylinders from like nineteen ninety to like nineteen ninety five. This is a solid, solid point. And then a strong downfall. <laughs> so let's kick things off with 2019's animated remake of The Addams Family, and this one's rated PG. We're going to try to give you the ratings for each of these as you make your decisions for your holiday viewing. Now, this is, like I said, an animated reimagining of our favorite macabre family, The Addamses. Here we get a bit of an origin story, actually, where the family mm-hmm. is constantly being chased out of towns by angry mobs and finally settles outside of a stepford suburban community called Assimilation, where Wednesday Adams befriends the daughter of the straight-edged owner of the community and TV personality, played by Alice and Janney, and uh, this obviously causes lots of fun conflict between the town and the family. You know, I struggled a lot with this one. This one was really tough for me to review and rate, and I think that's because out the gate, I hated it, <laughs> and and I hated it mainly because it is impossible possible for me to separate this animated remake from its classic predecessor the Adams family from 1991 yeah. That being said, in the end, I, something very important dawned on me. But before we get into that, let's just discuss sort of our thoughts on the movie itself, The Addams Family from 2019. The first thing I noticed was that The Addams Family is just the wrong vehicle for the message that they were trying to put out there of wanting to be accepted. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a great message of empowerment i think that the message is there for kids but you're absolutely right they, they are just not the intellectual property to carry this through they would never interact or be smitten with a town like assimilation and want to be a part of it i mean i think going back into the earliest t- parts of the tv show it's all about people interacting with them not them interacting with the broader world i mean mm-hmm. it's in the theme song the house is a museum when people come to see them right like that is what it's about so the whole idea of just having them move into this vicinity beer this town be built up around it whatever situation is like move into this town it just it made no sense that you know the, you have this scene where they kind of like take a stro- jaunty scroll through town and they're like this would be great for all of our Adams family members to live here. It just needs more rust. And I'm like, no, they wouldn't have been caught dead in a place like this. It just, it fell flat instantly for sure. No, I completely agree. And, and I think that especially after the cold open where they're run out of town and are looking for a place to live and call their own and be themselves. And they stumble on the asylum that eventually becomes the Adams house. They were saying that they want a place to be themselves, right? So what would make them see this Stepford town and think that it's the right fit for them or their family as a whole? I I, will say though, the only funny part of the entire movie, the only part I chuckled is when they first go into that town and Pugsley is drinking out of the dog bowl because yeah. like it's like yeah. a hipster town yeah. and Morticia's like Pugsley stop drinking out of that bowl I believe this gentleman would like some 
Because yep. <laughs> there's, there's a guy just staring at him like, what the heck is he doing? That legit made me laugh. That yeah. is the only time. And, and But I absolutely agree. Like, Gomez going into a Starbucks and just all that. It just didn't feel right. No. Even with the cold open, they get run out of town. And if we look at even the more recent iterations, which it's hard not to do, as you said, the 91 um, Adams Family particularly, but then, you know, a little bit to family values as well. They don't care or even acknowledge that they're different. Right. It's not a thing to them. They are them. And everyone else is weird because they don't live in haunted mansions and have creepy Frankenstein butlers and loose dismembered hands running around. Right. Like they don't care. They are who they are and they don't need anyone to accept that crazy. So this idea that they were even worried about the fact that they were run out of town. It seems like the Adams family that I love wouldn't care that people were chasing them with torches and pitchforks. Like that's a Saturday night at the house where people dig up dead bodies for a fun and games on Halloween. Oh, yeah, in the 91 version, when they (laughs) take Morticia to torture her about where the vault is, she loves every second of it. Right. Right. I mean, they have that rack in their house. (laughs) Right. Right. Clearly, they enjoy it. I'm sorry. I love the part where he's cranking it, and she looks at him and goes, you've done this before. (laughs) It's so good. I think in that same scene, they have, hot, uh, I think when Gozenez comes and he's like, hot pokers. And she's like, not now, darling. Or I know. Like, <laughs> it's so good. But that's not uh, the movie we're talking about. No, no. I can't help it. But, but that's what we're getting at, right? Is that this movie ends up losing sight of what makes the Addams Family funny and moving. When we look at the 91 live action film, it captured it perfectly it's beautiful it was that the idea that these people already existed in the real world with normal people but aren't looking to fit in it comes from bringing that outside world into them not the atoms to the outside world it's a lot like what makes the brady bunch movie of the same time work it's like or the beverly hillbillies exactly you know this obliviousness that they don't fit in and they are just being themselves and it is everybody else's reaction to them just being the Adams family. Like And that's such a natural source of comedy. And I think mainly too, because what's really funny about it, and I'm speaking to the old version and, and what is lacking in this most recent version, the animated film, is that after just a few minutes of watching the Adamses not fitting in, their life actually becomes the standard and the norm for us, the viewer. So yeah. that when we get glimpses of what we would normally perceive as, quote, normal, it feels odd and weird and insane. And we are able then to laugh at ourselves and our real existence when we see it through the lens that the Adams family establishes. And yeah. that is totally lacking here because now we always see the Adams family as the weird one. So there's the satirical elements of this style mm-hmm. of comedy are completely lacking because you're never establishing that new frame of focus. Yeah. And sure. it's tragic. And and additionally, what makes the characters themselves so moving is that they aren't seeking to find acceptance by the again quote normals, right? Instead, yeah. they are who they are and they love who they are. They own who they are regardless of what the world and other people expect of them or or are looking for. And yeah. to me, that's the real empowerment and it better illustrates that idea of loving oneself more than in this film Wednesday's death 
desperate need to be seen as normal and accepted by others. And it feels instead here in the animated version, just like a really sloppy, hastily thrown together social justice message that's yeah. forced to fit in a vehicle that it that can't accommodate it. Yeah, I mean, I guess in the end, uh, with that message of acceptance, you're also like, you know, you get this highlighted idea of like, you know, there's the, the pseudo next door app that's run by this yes. town and like yes. the normal people are actually the bad people that's also a weird message that is also part and of this there's so many jokes around that too with the yeah. insta mob app and then it gives them all torches and instead of torches because this is the modern civilized day they're all right. holding up their cell phones with a little flickering torch app and i'm just like this isn't funny and it's no. not funny to kids because I mean, I can't imagine Gabe, my son, watching it and being like, oh, I get it because mobs carry torches. Like, right. I mean, I guess you see it in the beginning of the movie, but it's so dumb. It was so dumb. Ultimately, there are plenty of really great places to have these kind of conversations. And there's great opportunities in, in, in films to do that. But this just misses the mark. This isn't the place to, to use that IP for this message. Moving on, I... And again, we're we're gonna keep referring to ninety one because I mean I grew up with that movie. Frank grew up with that movie. Can't help um, it. Outside of watching, you know, the sitcom on reruns, like ninety one is like the uh, the epitome to me. Like that, like that is just the be all and end all when it comes to the Adams family for for I think a lot of people in our generation. Well, I think and, what it did really well. Sorry to interrupt you, but what it did really well was it took that original IP that yeah. our parents grew up with and we watched on you know TV Land or Nick at Night or whatever it was at the time, and it actually elevated it and it modernized it, but it made it better. I yeah. mean, it genuinely made it because even my parents, even people who I know watched the original Adams Family loved the 1991 movie. Yeah, that's really all just to say that those characters and the depictions of those characters in that movie are second to none now forever. Right. And so when you go this route, I mean, I doubt anyone could actually name the original Gomez Adams, but you can name Raul Julia. Um, I can if you give me a second. And, uh, <laughs> Because he was a pretty famous actor in his own right, and I know it, and I I forget it. But yep, I, I but know, you know Raul Julia without even That's a second so thought. Um, but so I mean, again, this is all to say that animation sort of makes sense because it's a, a good way to separate right out the ninety one from this. But the treatment of these characters was not good. Not just how they're how visually they looked, but. Also, there's so many, there's so much star power attached to this movie. Oh, yeah. And the voice acting is just wasted. I was really disappointed at how incredibly bad the voice acting was. And some of the opportunities, like, oh, you see Martin Short, and you're like, yeah, he's relegated to a 30-second cameo and doesn't even have a visual character to go with it. It's completely lost the soul visually and script-wise of, of the original. I just did not care for how we, we dealt with these characters at all. No, and I, and I think that's like... I think that's well put, and I think that it's really obvious when you look at Chloe Grace Moretz's 
mm. sort of interpretation of Wednesday Adams because she is really asked and and really laid with the burden of carrying this movie, right? Yeah. Wednesday is the character that we are following here. And she just fell completely flat. And to be fair to Chloe Grace Moretz, the vast majority of it had to do with just how poorly written this character and all the other ones are. But it also had to do with she simply seemed to just kind of phone this one in. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this movie released in 20... I know it came out in 2019, but like I wouldn't have been surprised if this had released in 2020 and I found out that everyone recorded this remotely during COVID times because right. it was like right. there was no effort put in at all. You know, instead of being creepy and mysterious, she just sounded tired and uninterested. And without like the yeah. charm right like without the charm that christina ricci managed to bring to the character in 91 chloe grace moretz really just came across feeling like a disrespectful teen who wears a lot of black not anything different not a wednesday adams just any emo preteen girl yeah even her fights <laughs> with her mom about wearing this colorful beret it was just so blah christina ricci you always felt like underneath there there is a sociopath psychopath detached killer and she just had this black-eyed gaze that there's nothing going on there and i just <laughs> so there, this but i mean the same could really be said for Charlize theron as as morticia i felt empty and completely like she wasn't in control of any of the situation and just as sleepy as Wednesday. There was just no anything. In no heft, no weight. Yeah, she Nothing. she couldn't, and by she, yes, her voice, but, you know, her character. She just couldn't carry a scene. And I feel no. like Angelica Houston's Morticia owned the screen, you know? Yeah, absolutely. There wasn't really ending up being a single character in this that I wanted to see more of, like who I really, truly enjoyed. I think the biggest disappointment for me was Oscar Isaac as Gomez Adams. And yeah. and I feel like he suffered the most from bad writing. You know, yeah, his voice acting was also completely uninspired. You know, especially, I mean, they were all doing their best impressions of the 91 characters, yeah. you know, but he in particular was doing his best Raul Julia impression instead of bringing any new life to the character. But because of that, his overall treatment made the character even even worse yeah because in the animated movie gomez just cannot hold a scene at all instead yep. of being a passionate strong and confident guy fully devoted and fully just passionately in love with his wife feeling mm -hmm. and and her equal still at the same time he just came off as this weak whiny needy clingy little guy like he feels so small throughout yeah. the entire movie. And that is even further emphasized, what you had just mentioned briefly, is the, the treatment of his character's animation. And, and Raul Julia was so commanding. His presence yeah. was so commanding, right? He was formidable, but he also felt very equal to Morticia and their relationship felt very formidable. Here, he, he really just feels like this little lapdog and it was really hard to watch. Yep. He came across, like I said, as just a small empty idiot rather than the confident, calculated leader of the family whose insanely high confidence brings this naivety and just walks close enough to becoming a major character flaw that it makes scenes funny and endearing. 
He wasn't yes. funny or endearing. That is the crux for me of who Gomez Adams is, right? He is so yep. hyper-confident in himself that he is blind to the world. And so yes. when the world interacts with him, it's hilarious. Yeah. And and here, it it was completely lacking. Yeah. So John Aston is Gomez from the TV series. There he is. And him and Raul Julia really do share a really good aesthetic that's what makes raul julia you know pulls that depiction really well with the original but they plus both raul julia makes gomez adams puerto rican which exactly, is even right. better yeah but that's that's the suaveness and john Aston had that same thing yeah. it's and all i could hear in my head from both of them is like the old boy like you know the the yes. howell kind of comes from money goes to the country club and the fat bumbling gomez from this cartoon like he was more almost more bumbling than fester who is a completely different story but i, I don't want to spend any time on how awful <laughs> nick kroll was as uncle fester because it's more of just the same on that um, you know, you're going to look at it and be like, ah, he's not Christopher Lloyd, who just disappeared into that character. And Nick Kroll's just manic and his voice acting is terrible. Look, I'm a big Nick Kroll fan in his element. Nick Kroll to me is like Adam Sandler, right? If, yeah. if you're looking for what he gives you, you're real happy you got it. I, mean, I thought he was brilliant in the league. I love Big Mouth. I, I think yeah. Big Mouth is one of the best shows on Netflix. So this is not a knock on Nick Kroll, but he, I, I absolutely agree. He was a terrible Uncle Fester. And, and yeah. just like all the other ones, completely loses the charm and endearing qualities that makes the Adams family who they are. And, yeah. and Fester in particular. And he was barely in it. Like he didn't yep. even live in the house. He was. It was so odd. The whole movie is odd for any that of us a, who remember the original. Yeah, and that's ultimately great. I mean, we that, that sums it up perfectly. I mean, we said right at the jump of this section. I mean, there's just so much talent is wasted. You bet Midler playing Grandmama, and uh, you you could have worked in some in jokes for Hocus Pocus into that somehow. She's playing a witch again. Like there could have been some really good self referential stuff there, and they're not given anything. An animation you could have taken the kookiness of the Adams family up a whole slew of notches, and it just doesn't. It doesn't translate. I honestly I can't even remember a scene with Grandmama in it. And, and I no, remember right. in Adam's family when they're in the hotel and she's like chasing the cat. And then all of a sudden <laughs> she pops in. She goes, dinner's going to be late. <laughs> she's got like a cudgel with her. I mean, it, and that's just my point. Honestly, this movie is completely forgettable and nothing hits home. And, and especially if you were a fan of the original one, you are going to hate this one. But yeah. that brings me to my realization. And what I realized in the end is that it's impossible for me to rate this movie because this movie wasn't for me right yeah i'm a grown man not a small child between the ages of six and ten but also mainly because the live action 1991 classic still sits so firmly rooted in my mind that's what i grew mm -hmm. up with and so of course i'm gonna measure this one to it and it doesn't measure up but it's, it's not supposed to this is not one of those kids movies that you as a parent are going to be able to watch and enjoy too right this movie yeah. just legit pissed me off but is it a good Halloween movie for kids? And I think if you ask yourself that question, the answer is unequivocally yes, 
So Mm -hmm. my son came in maybe halfway through. I think I started watching this one night and I didn't finish it. And so I finished it the next day because I was just pissed. And I was like, (laughs) oh, I'm not staying up for this. So my son ended up watching the second half with me. And as soon as it was over, he's seven. As soon as it was over, he wanted me to immediately start it again so that he could watch it all from the beginning. And I asked him if he liked it. And he was like, daddy, I loved it. Right. Yeah. And like I said, he's seven. He's never seen the original. He is the target audience. And it really hit home for him. He thought it was funny and he thought it was fun. So I'm going to let him review this one, right? Yeah, right. And so, you know, while this movie would fail on every level for me personally, especially watching it critically, it hits the mark. It hits the perfect mark. If the question is, what can I let my kids watch this Halloween that's in the spirit of the holiday that they'll enjoy and that I can be comfortable letting them watch? And I think this is that movie. So as much as I hate it and I personally give it a one out of 10 and it only gets that one because of the funny dog bowl joke, (laughs) you know, as a family friendly Halloween movie that your kids will love if they're younger kids like my son, it's a six out of 10. It's a six out of 10 because six is the age (laughs) it's targeted at. (laughs) I think that's, that's the key, right? And this is one of those times where we really have to, to, to be cognizant of who this movie is for. It's not done in the way that like a Shrek is done where there's equal enjoyment and jokes that are going to go over the kids' heads that, that, that the parents are going to get. I didn't get a single one of those. If there were, then they went over my head too and they totally missed the mark. Yep. There was maybe one or two that were kind of funny, but obviously forgettable. Um, the whole thing trails off and I honestly, I tuned out most of the, 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 the third act. I just, I was like, oh, they're throwing boulders at their house and like, uh, okay, it's right. fine. And that got actually more mad. I was like, you can't destroy the Adams family house. Like, that's not right. That is absolutely key here. Uh, I think you could use this maybe as an introduction if you really want to get your kids start nudging them onto uh, that, you know, satirical macabre path um, and with the hopes that like, they're going to love Nightmare Before Christmas and they're then going to love the Adams Family. And then, you know, if you want to continue on the Sonnenfeld, the Barry Sonnenfeld track and get them into Men in Black and things like that, then, you know, maybe this is a good one to start when they're six and expose them to the characters and, and see where they go. But for me, I, I won't. I, you know, would I be mad if my kid watched it growing up? Probably not, but I'm. This would never make it into into heavy rotation for me. So absolutely, and and I think too, in terms of the messaging, like while we're berating it because we don't feel like the the Adams Family IP is the right vessel. Yeah. For a kid who doesn't isn't familiar, it is. It, it has a great message, and it yeah. delivers the message. And while there are some questionable scenes, like I, I think Gabriel even turned to me, he's just like, like you were saying, you can't destroy the Adams Family house. Gabriel was just like, you can't sling boulders at people's houses, like. I think he turned and was like, where are the cops? And I'm like, that's a good question, Gabriel. You keep that going. You're going to host a podcast one day. But, you know, you know, so it, it does a lot right for kids. And and personally, I'd rather have my kids watch the original. But the truth is the difference between the 2019 PG rating and the 1991 PG 13 is a proper jump. There yeah. is some some really for real stuff in that one innuendo and stuff i mean i'm not saying it's overtly bad but there's a lot that when i was re-watching it recently i was like i can't believe my mom let us watch this oh, i watched oh, yeah. it when it came out like i was I think, a seven or eight year old kid 
I wish I still had it, but I um, I sent Frank a, a, a text that I had found uh, earlier in the week about the 93 movie. And it was actually a, um, a screenshot of the script. And it's one of the first scenes where Morticia and Gomez are interacting. And he's like really, um, you know, passionately probably doing the arm kiss thing. as She's talking in French or something. And the oh, no, writer she's has... in bed. Ah, right. They just so woke up. Like, yeah, yeah, this is like super early in the, in the movie. And he's got uh, there's a line uh, in the directions from the writer that's like, I want you to be clear, like these people are demonically horny for each other. This is all about like passionate demon sex. And like they are straight up, you know, doing it every time that, you know, they they start down this road like it ends in sex and it's a lot more graphic than that the way he explains it and then at the end he's like if you don't agree with me that's fine i'll walk i've already spent my commission money on this movie but he's like i want them to be like demonically horny for each other so dude it's yeah so so the leap is is big so as much as i want him to start with that he can't you know if your kids are of of an older age i would have they haven't seen this start them off there this movie the uh the 2019 remake the 91 original and the 1993 super crappy sequel adam's family values they're all available now on amazon prime video so feel free to dial them all up and judge for yourselves we'd love to hear your thoughts especially if you grew up with the 91 classic yeah absolutely 100 percent so the next one we're just gonna dive right in is Coraline. Coraline is yeah. a 2009 stop motion animation film rated PG. And Coraline tells the story of an 11 year old girl who finds another world that's this weird idealized version of her seemingly terrible home. But little does she know that this new world has some sinister secrets. So for <laughs> me, I had never seen Coraline before. Tim, yeah. you had seen it, and this yep. this one was uh your pick for the week yeah we we threw the idea of nightmare out there but it had been a while since i've seen this one and i thought this might give people a slight alternative to yeah like nightmare is a nightmare yeah nightmare is a given but if you're looking for something a little in the vein but a little different exactly so that's why i went with this so i'm excited to talk about this for sure well, kind of in to to speak to that a bit too, and just like it was impossible for me to separate the Adams Family animated movie from the '91 version uh, that I grew up with, it was absolutely impossible for me not to judge Coraline against the Nightmare Before Christmas. Sure. So there's going to be a bit of that. Well, and I think that also, if anybody is familiar with the Corpse Bride, that suffers even more so from that comparison because the Corpse Bride offers zero. <laughs> Whereas we'll get into Coraline a little bit, what the redeeming qualities there buoy it a little bit more than anything happens in The Corpse Bride, unfortunately. Yeah, now both of these movies, although we are focusing our conversation on Coraline, both Coraline and Nightmare Before Christmas, they're obviously both stop stop motion animation. They're Mm -hmm. both directed by Henry Selick. The major difference being that Selick wrote the movie adaptation of Coraline, which is actually based on the book written by Neil Gaiman, which I did. Yeah, and I hadn't read that, so I I don't have the background knowledge there. If you read the book, maybe the movie makes a bit more sense. And Tim Burton created the story and characters for Nightmare. Michael McDowell wrote the actual screen adaptation, and like I said, Henry Selick directed it. So there are there's a through thread. You know, between the two, but the major difference being that Selleck wrote Coraline, whereas Tim Burton really developed the idea and the characters that drove the movie Nightmare Before Christmas. 
Yeah, that gets lost on a lot of people. A lot of, t- a lot of times they think that Tim Burton directed Nightmare and he was heavily involved in the process, but right. he didn't ultimately direct it. Right. So my biggest thing that jumped out to me right off the bat is Coraline is a long and it mm-hmm. feels even longer. This movie clocks in at an hour and 40 minutes, but it yes. felt like I was watching for well over two hours, yep. which is never a good thing. What's worse than the runtime is that in the end, it doesn't really feel like it goes anywhere. You know, I had so many more questions than I did going into it at the beginning. Like, how does this world exist? What is this spider creature? Are there other world doppelgangers for everyone in the real world? Like in us? What's the deal with with the grandma? Does she know about the other world? Why doesn't she let the kids live on the property? Is it because her sister vanished? But if that's the case, then why does she let Coraline move in? Why does she have a doll that looks like Coraline (laughs) that this spider lady made and sent off into the ether? But how does it end up with the grandma? And what's the deal with the cat? How come he exists in both worlds? All of this is stuff that is shown to you and stuff that you're watching that never finds resolution, never gets answered, never gets explained and mm-hmm. and I was like what the heck did I just watch in the end it feels like nightmare is able to accomplish so much more clear storytelling in a lean mean 76 minute runtime than Coraline is able to accomplish in an inflated hundred minutes and the nightmare before Christmas managed to do it while still being over 90 percent songs yeah you don't really get any music in this save for the slight oh, the, bit of the, the Coraline weird... song well, no, but then there's the the weird mermaid burlesque with the old yeah, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, whatever. There just <laughs> there wasn't enough done in this movie to help me ground in the world that they were building and understand the yes. dynamics between the characters, between these two dimensions. I just needed more. Yeah, we'll get to where I think this movie really has its love. But story-wise, and I really always have felt this way, I think that's why... I really don't come back to it that often because it's not an easy watch, right? It's not breezy. It's, right. it's there are reasons it's worth watching. And again, we'll get there. I'm excited to talk about that. Uh, but <laughs> Poor th- Tib. I'm just like, I'm going to take a giant deuce right into your cereal. <laughs> but this is sort of what I was, I was kind of anticipating because really the story is difficult. I mean, is it's and and not fleshed out. And this is really evident in the end where Coraline makes this big deal with the other mother slash spider creature, which I think is referred to as a bell dam at one point in time, but I don't oh, even I know what that, that is. Yeah. I, I've not been able to Google what that is and I might be spelling it wrong. I should have watched it with the captions on. But <laughs> Coraline strikes a deal with the other mother slash spider lady at the recommendation of this cat character. She challenges the other mother to a game. And if Coraline can find the eyes belonging to these ghost children that she meets in the the mirror, the other mother is gonna let these other the spirits of these children go and Coraline's parents if not then Coraline has to submit to becoming one of these ghost children and living in this other world forever and replace her eyes with buttons and she is now possibly going to end up in the mirror like these other forgotten children that have also made this deal there's no sense of urgency to these tasks to find the eyes of the other children um there's no 
agreement in setting out this like little challenge about a time limit. Do we have forever? We know Coraline's parents are missing, but the other kids have been dead for possibly centuries. So there's nothing to really further that along. And Carissa pointed that out to me, my wife, when we were watching it. She's like, does she have a certain amount of time she's got to get this done? And I was like, I don't think so. And at this point, there's a pan up to the moon and Coraline notices that there is a button covering the moon. So now you're like, oh, so she has until this button moon eclipse is over to, to finish this. But we don't know what that time limit is. There's, there's no indication is that like sunrise, midnight, three days from now, like uh, it feels haphazard really at that point. Yeah. And, and like you said, that is one example of a lot of instances where something is set up but the why is just never made clear. Even this whole notion, I understand that Coraline finds this portal. So she finds this little door that leads her down this little hallway into the other world. And her parents are genuinely terrible. Um, yes. And so when she goes there, there's these creepy doppelganger versions of her parents that have these buttons sewn into their eyes. Mm. And, and that functions so that we can tell them all apart. But also, you know, the food is good and, and they seem like loving parents and all this kind of stuff. So I understand why she would keep going. Back. I don't understand why the other mother wants to keep her and her specifically so bad and, and yeah. what leads her to treating the other kids so terrible. And, you know, so there's these there's these concepts that get set up and they're interesting enough, but then they never pay off. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and just like the example you were giving, even though we know what's at risk, there's really no stakes. Right. Because we can't feel the clock. And that would have been such a simple line to add in as easy as, yeah, it's a deal. You have 30 minutes, you have an hour, you have till sunrise, you have yeah. whatever. It's a line, you know, but it wasn't and it wasn't put in. And so, you know, it's the case throughout the movie where there's so much unexplained leaving the viewer totally confused and unsure of what they're watching there was so much boring time spent with YB and this other kid <laughs> character and the other occupants of the house and it's not that we shouldn't have seen them just not for so long yeah. and because of all this the movie just felt very slow and drawn out which is the native danger of a stop motion animation but when compared to something like Nightmare which felt so lively and dynamic yeah. this movie really really lacks now that all being said the reason that i love this movie and i think a lot of people do is that it is absolutely visually stunning and we should absolutely make sure we praise um this movie for how striking it is and as incredible and groundbreaking as completely. nightmare was and I love stop motion. I've loved stop motion since I grew up watching the Rankin Bass Christmas movie. It's like, yeah. that has just been such a thing in my life. And I've found Nightmare when it came out in 1993. And I've just always loved that style. And again, as incredible as Nightmare was, what the team behind Coraline was able to accomplish is leaps and bounds ahead. I mean, we're talking, you know, a good decade apart, but it's just so so beautiful. No, I absolutely couldn't agree more. And for me, watching this for the first time, add 11 years to the mix because, yeah. you know, we're we're over a decade removed from when this movie actually came out. And yep. early on, I genuinely had to look up whether or not it really was stop motion because it looked so amazing. And even watching it in 4K, you know, the older movies really don't upscale well. And, yeah. and this one holds up the detail, the textures, everything was mind-blowing it is yeah. a gorgeous like sumptuous movie 
if you think about some of the coolest shots in Nightmare, for me, that's usually like, uh, there's the scene where Sally brings the basket up to Jack and it's got like the fishbone and the, yeah. the wine bottle. There's a, there's like a close up that happens there with the swinging rope, the scene where she puts the, fo- uh, Sally puts the fog juice in the fountain. If you think of your, those most perfect, beautiful moments in Nightmare, this entire movie is those, those moments. At its worst, uh, it's those moments. Exactly. Yeah. I saw this movie in, in theaters. Again, being such a big fan of Nightmare, Maker, uh, Nightmare I, I had to see it. And it was in 3D. It was available in 3D. This is like that big point where like everything was kind of getting a 3D release. Yeah. And they did the Nightmare 3D re-release as well. And this movie was breathtaking. I mean, because unlike a lot of the 3D movies or the re-releases like Nightmare, which, you know, you're usually going to get that theme park, um, you know, Captain EO, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience kind of thing where <laughs> things are popping out at you. Yep. This is not full of the in-your-face moments. Coraline just, it makes use of the 3D technology to bring that texture to it. So when you see the fog rolling over things or the texture of the the, the grass or even her hair or the ra- the doll, the 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 uh, yarn hair on the doll it, it was, i'm just i was just blown away how beautiful it was and the number one scene which i will never forget um is when she finds the portal and every time Coraline opens the portal it's like best to describe it as like one of those tunnels that kids have one of those pl- collapsible play tunnels it's like a giant slinky covered in some kind of fabric oh, my kids like have that pop, yeah like yep. a pop tunnel right i'm gonna take a picture and, and i'm gonna put it on instagram so people can yeah, see it yeah right when Coraline opens this door the tunnel like expands and the 3d animation there didn't have the tunnel pop out at you it was more like the movie theater screen was moving back 50 yards oh, that's you. awesome it fell so it was away. like yeah it just watching it grow as the tunnel lengthens was phenomenal and i loved every time and so then there's a point in the movie where that tunnel dies right the magic has died and the tunnel is now full of old socks and dust and, and dirt and it's really disappointing <laughs> because it's yeah. such a fun part in the movie and you're like ah, oh. and that's when the movie starts to kind of turn um, you know, to the the darker esque side, but it it was it was phenomenal. It that's just, so, so beautiful. It's such smart use of that technology. Avatar, say what you want about the movie, it did that as well. Where that's what I've heard. Yeah, where it doesn't pull. I hate it when three D movies try to pull things out of frame towards you because you know that's not real and so your eye you really struggle to absorb that information whereas when 3d is just used to add depth of field into the picture that feels so much more real and and it adds an element that visually and to your brain makes sense and and i couldn't once you told me this was 3d like when we talked after i had seen it totally changed how i saw the movie i was already blown away by how good the animation was to imagine some of these scenes in the like the spider web scene where she yeah. like makes the floor fall away and all this kind of stuff. I was just like, oh, that would have been epic. I think for me, while Coraline feels a little creepier overall and is absolutely more stunning, I just don't think it does much to elevate the standard set by The Nightmare Before Christmas before mm-hmm. it. And it also doesn't elevate itself in the ranks above its predecessor. You know, yes. while it's still, I mean, it really is so visually superior, it's just a worse movie. And if mm-hmm. I'm going to let my kids watch this, I'd absolutely let them 
watch Nightmare. So in the end, I personally wouldn't recommend Coraline as a Halloween watch just because Nightmare is such a better movie with amazing and timeless characters and awesome songs. And it does all of this in a fraction of the runtime. So for me, I would say with the kids, skip Coraline and sit your kids in front of Nightmare Before Christmas this Halloween, which is available on Disney+. Plus. But if you insist or you want to check it out for yourselves, Coraline is available through Stars. Um, and, and I give Coraline a 4 out of 10 just because it was so visually impressive. Yeah, I think that's fair. I might go 6 out of 10 just because it's so beautiful. And when you love something that is such a rare feat, you want to accept it so much more right we don't totally see that animation anymore oh and it's so expensive and so time consuming absolutely and and that is definitely fueled a love of mine in sculpting and i mean i think in a different life i probably would have found you know if i had thought more ahead i would have been some kind of sculptor puppet master kind of guy because you know uh, if you like the Jim Henson stuff, you like Nightmare, you liked uh, Tim Burton's other stuff where this kind of stuff, Beetlejuice, you know, there's a lot of stop motion animation that right. comes up. So I think there's a little bit of a curve that you grade that I have to grade on, especially when how disappointing Corpse Bride was. Uh, it just you've wanted another Tim Burton, st- you know, stop motion. People have clamored for another Nightmare for you know going on thirty years, <laughs> and um, God, it's thirty it's, years. Right. So when you when you get something like this from a visionary mind that, you know, was was part of that team, I'm just going to inherently love it a lot more. So if you've you've seen Nightmare, you've done Nightmare and your kids like it and they like this style, definitely do it. It's creepy enough, I think, for me, um, there's especially and I think if I'm a kid, it's creepy enough to have your parents gone (laughs) and taken from you. So dude, and um, that spider thing. Even as she yes. morphs through the phases, like even when yes. she's not quite full spider, but just that yep. creepier, skinnier, gaunter version of the other mother. Yeah, it was haunting. Yeah. Ultimately, there's tons of questions about story and visually this movie just poured everything visually. I'd really like to go back and read the Neil Gaiman book because Neil Gaiman's got some amazing source material Agreed. for stage plays and things like that. So I'd like to go back and read and see what is missing from from this adaptation. But I, I, I would agree if you've never seen Nightmare and you want to do something truly halloween then go with nightmare you know 10 times out of 10 i'm never going to tell anybody not to watch nightmare um but if you if you like nightmare and you want more of this style go to Coraline every couple of years i'll check it out again but uh, it's not doesn't have the driving facts that um factors that that nightmare does which i can just i'll watch it every day of the year if i have to oh no i i'm the only person in my family who likes nightmare before christmas <laughs> my sister and my mother absolutely hated i bet you they would like this more for some reason I, I think i think they would like this more although they'd be foolish i will say whether you watch nightmare or you watch Coraline or anything else this holiday season that is this style this stop motion style I absolutely also recommend on Disney Plus, we've talked about it before, Prop Culture, and they do an episode on Nightmare Before Christmas. And whether, regardless of which one you watch, you will absolutely get real insight into the lengths that it that it takes to make something like this and give you a real appreciation. And so if you watch that too in conjunction with this, that could be a fun little learning experience for the kiddos. But for you as an adult watching, we'll give you a real appreciation for the lift that these movies really are. 
So moving right along, and we'll try to tear through these last two just because, yeah, I don't know. They don't they don't require so much, I don't think. Yeah. But the next movie we watch, and the next one I'm going to talk about is Sleepy Hollow. So we're going to skip a little bit ahead to what I, I think is definitely the higher end of the spectrum before we mm-hmm. drop back down into Hocus Pocus. But I wanted to end on a really positive note. So we're going to save Hocus Pocus for last. Yeah. So Sleepy Hollow released in 1999 and is actually rated R. And I was absolutely shocked that it was was rated R, yeah. uh, especially when compared to some of the other PG-13 movies that we've watched this month, like uh, like The Right. Sleepy yep. Hollow has a few beheadings and some very tame, let's just say, implied sex scene, although I mm-hmm. think even that is a little bit more than what it really is. Um, yeah. You know, The Right had a girl impregnated with her father's incestuous rape child, possessed by the demon ball, begging another priest to rape the body of this girl, who yep. then begins vomiting up nails in blood before finally bleeding to death in a creepy hospital and that was rated pg-13 this horseman cuts off a few heads with very little blood and a old lady makes out with a priest for a while yeah and it and it gets an r and i just didn't get that and i i think in our discussions we're like oh we should throw something on you know for the the late team right and right. this just came to mind to, as I was like, I was sure that this was in a PG-13, you know, so I'm <laughs> equally shocked. Oh. <laughs> Dude, absolutely. I 100% put this movie on the list because I thought it would be a great option for families with older kids looking for something of a step up from the cartoonish Halloween movies that we've been discussing so far. I'll be honest with you, I think that still holds true. You know, not to kind of put my parenting style on blast, but I would have zero issues with letting my kids watch this if they were, you know, in the 12 to 13 year old range, even giving the R rating. You know, I honestly just can't think of much in this movie that is so grotesque or over the top or mature that it would give me much pause to do that. I honestly, I thought the original Adams Family was more mature at PG-13 than this movie is R. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, you talk about the beheadings and and they went out of their way to explain why the corpses don't bleed, you know, why there isn't blood spurting everywhere. And in the original Adams Family, you have all that fake blood from their their Shakespeare scene, which sprays people. So, you know, I I think this movie would have been better served to really own that rating and figure out you know why because i can't if there was something in there i missed it i I really did i'm so glad you said that because i feel like if you were gonna fight for the pg-13 i bet you you were a cut a scene cut away you know maybe the beheadings maybe but even those they're not grotesque they're not Uh, bad and you know so if you're gonna get the r rating uh, this movie fully disappoints as an r you know, yes. as a PG thirteen, oh, yeah. it's fine. So if you're if you're if you're content to walk away with an R rating, go balls out and make yeah. this an R rated headless horseman horror movie of epic freaking proportions. And it isn't. Yeah, and I will say that when this movie originally came out in ninety nine, I was fourteen, and it scared me the way that the original, <laughs> you know, Brendan yeah. sca- Brendan Fraser's mummy scared me initially. Oh, bro, when that mummy comes to life. Oh, that would have been a good one here. Right? Anyways, whatever. Go ahead. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) now the real mummy is Brendan (laughs) Fraser. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, it's just this movie, I was like, that's just why it popped in my head. I was like, you know, I think when we talked about this list, it made so much sense. That aside, as for the movie itself, again, like with the Adams family, uh, the, the, the animated, it just feels like there's so much left on the table. I it's been a while since I'd seen this movie and I actually had forgotten most of it pretty in depth. <laughs> and, yeah, I agree. 
when the cast was rolling in the credits in the beginning, I was like, whoa, Michael Gambon, Christopher Lee, Johnny Depp pre-Pirates, uh, Christina Ricci. You recognize everybody in this movie, especially now. You've got some Harry Potter-verse people that pop up in this. Christopher Walken pops up in this movie. You're like, holy crap, this is a fantastic movie. But there's just so much left. Um, no one really brings this home, really knocks it out of the park. I think everyone is serviceable. Nobody really elevates anything. I mean, Christopher Walken is random at best. Yeah. I, I, maybe he's creepy. I, he just seems weird. He's really only on screen for maybe two minutes. And I think Christopher Lee, who is a horror veteran and a horror mainstay, yes. is reduced. So maybe that's all they could have. I, I, I have a hard time believing that a Tim Burton feature with all this other star power and a Johnny Depp right at the peaking of like the beginning to peak of his career with Christina Ricci at the peak of her career. I feel like they could have gotten paid more and gotten Christopher, you know, Christopher Lee into a bigger part of this movie where he would have served this movie better than this five second cameo. He's oh, I feel for sure heavily that if they had embraced the R rating and gone darker with this movie, I think you switch Christopher Lee and Michael Gambon. Yeah. And, and you kind of make Gambon a passing, you know, magistrate role and you put Christopher Lee in the Van Tassel role and you just let him chew that up. I yeah. mean, no one, no one plays Christopher creepier yeah something that we've seen a lot is these ensemble casts that end up just not delivering and i don't know if that's you know somebody not wanting to take the lead not wanting to to run with it or what but it just there's a lot a lot left uh for this movie well i mean it's true you you can't have a movie made up of all you know heavy swingers you know what i mean yeah. you need yeah. the supporting cast and this yeah I, I feel like that this movie suffers from that but i do think it's just tim burtony enough to be yeah. visually compelling and mm -hmm. it maintains that dark stormy mood that you're looking for throughout the entire hour and 45 minute runtime while it falls a little bit flat it delivers the notes that i think you're hoping for yeah when i find when i remembered that it was you know tim burton there's definitely the moments there's some visuals that you pick up there's a couple of weird spooky jump out animation moments that, oh, that those do not age well yeah they don't fit in this movie but they're very tim burton i really liked the spin on ichabod crane i think you know obviously you're working with very short source material right there's right. there's not much here in in, in the, the original uh poem story i forget if it's a poem or a story but you know morphing him into this sherlock holmes figure is kind of fun it's a welcome change in the adaptation you know giving us a little bit more meat on on the bones of of this story you know i mean it, it serves its purpose to give us a little bit more in depth to to you know this 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 town and i think along with that the movie also boasts a, a pretty moderate twist yeah. you know it, it won't do much for the adults watching it who have seen you know you're gonna hey you've probably seen this movie a thousand times but even if you haven't you'll see the twist coming from a mile away yes. but again keeping in in mind that we're recommending this for you know younger audience i think kids watching this will probably be pleasantly surprised when uh when that kind of plays out uh, and i think lastly i really loved the combination of the supernatural and natural forces at play in the yeah. movie i think it could have been really easy to either make it fully supernatural or like a completely debunkable scooby-doo like 
natural villain where yeah. uh you know you think it's the headless horseman and then kill him and find out it was just a guy all along right right you know but sleepy hollow does a really great job of marrying the two paths into one coherent protagonistic thread where it is supernatural but also driven by a real person and i think that's really it's clever how they did that yeah. um uh, you know i don't know again i hold fast this is a respectable step up towards a more spooky film in the family category despite my surprise at the r rating i think it's clever enough i think it has an interesting i think it's an interesting twist on a classic character and delivers just enough fright to make a preteen family watch party lots of fun you know i think it's it's serviceable i gave it a five out of ten just because it's average yeah i'm gonna go probably slightly lower and i'll go probably a four um yeah i'm gonna change my mind i go i like uh, that let's go for it I'm simply saying that because I suggested it knowing I had watched it and then starting it, realizing I had no memory of a majority that there's one scene when the headless horseman comes in and uh, takes out a family and presumably kills a little boy too. Um, We don't see this happen, but it's, it's, it's assumed. And that's the only scene that I remember from the two previous times that I've watched it to the point that I honestly was like, have I actually seen this movie all the way through? And it was more of one of those where like, oh yeah, oh yeah. But then there were other parts where I know no memory of whatsoever. So unfortunately it really failed to have any lasting impression on me. But I will say if you want a perfect Halloween spooky movie, it's a good one to watch in this, this area that we're talking about it's you know new england in the fall it's dark it's spooky it's creepy it takes place in the end of the 1700s like it's you know everything you would want out of like a a witchy kind of movie and it it fits perfectly so i will absolutely say if you're looking to kind of take things up a notch this this halloween and you think your kids are ready for it don't be dissuaded by the r rating i think it's a perfectly spooky movie to watch for sure and you totally convinced me Uh, a five out of ten is really good for a horror movie i'm with you four out of ten yeah good I'll sell probably, tim good i'll probably sell. forget i watched this movie and in 10 years i'll be like oh yeah, it's a johnny depp tim burton movie i should watch this and then i'll be like oh wait i reviewed this movie didn't <laughs> <I?"> <laughs> <laughs> let's bring this home with our last yeah. review and this one will be short and sweet because there's really not much to say except that good god i love this movie and we're talking about hocus Pocus from Disney. Uh, Hocus yeah. Pocus released in 1993. Again, the heyday of all of these movies, <laughs> and is rated PG. So this one plays really well for pretty much anybody in the house. Yeah. But you know, I, I still I, I steer this more towards like the uh, slightly older kids. You know, maybe 10 to 13 type of range. Although I think you can get away. If it wasn't for the zombie guy, maybe I would totally yeah. let Gabriel watch it. And, and like I said, yeah. he's coming in at a, at a smooth seven years. I love this movie, and I rewatched it recently with some family via the the Disney Plus Watch Party feature that they just introduced. And I mean, minus a few things, right? Like I found myself it'd been a while since I'd seen it, and I totally remembered the lead character being much taller and handsomer and cooler. <laughs> you know what I mean? But outside of that the three witches you know you got bed midler sarah jessica oh. parker and uh, kathy najimy yeah they are 
top shelf. Absolutely. Really, really bringing their best into these characters. To where Sarah Jessica Parker is is unrecognizable. Yeah. Not visually, but totally in what she is portraying on screen. It is unlike anything that a modern Sarah Jessica Parker fan would recognize. It, and it is brilliantly hilarious. Kathleen Jimmy is the same as she always is. Absolutely hysterical. But Ben Midler really carries the load and is so believable. And the last thing I want to say, too, in terms of cast is Thora Birch mm-hmm. is doing real work as the sister in yeah. this. She had me dying. In every scene, I could see my little sister saying and doing that, just blowing up my spot when I'm like too cool for school and her oh, just yeah. sort of sliding in and being like, take it back, buddy. She just takes him down a peg so naturally. It's it's beautiful. I love her character. To me, the most shocking thing about this movie is the late life love, right? It, this movie was panned critically when it came out. It did not do well. And it's had these legs that have just made it into a classic that you're shocked when you find out that this movie was was terribly received. I absolutely agree. It is shocking to find that out. I've loved this movie since it came out, right? Yeah. I was nine when it came out, which is, I think, a nine-year-old boy. For this movie to appeal to him mm-hmm. is a bit of a heavy lift. And it did, which to me speaks volumes. I am absolutely surprised to find out that this movie didn't do well. I came in late, you know, in one of those movies, like I knew it existed, but I really didn't watch it in its entirety or have it become a tradition for us until uh, Carissa and I started dating. And it's become a thing that we watch it every Halloween now. And it's become a staple in our household. There are quotes that we pull out from that movie that are in our everyday life. I hate cult following because it's not really a cult following. It's Disney has picked up on the popularity of this movie in in the same way that they've picked up on the popularity of Nightmare that that has had um, later in its life. The Sanderson sisters host the Halloween party, a, a Halloween um, spectacular at, at Magic Kingdom. Um, I think there's also something that they do at uh, Disneyland as well. There's merch all over Spirit Halloween for for these characters, for these movies. Um, we have a Billy Butcherson tombstone as part of our Halloween decorations this year. Awesome. Like This movie has legs. You've constantly heard the rumblings, especially in the last 10 or so years, about a sequel. It is quintessential. It's like Nightmare. I'm not going to tell you not to watch this movie ever. It's just so much fun. And there's... There's jokes in it. You know, the, the stuff that the Adams Family animated didn't do to appeal to parents, this movie does. Uh, there's one joke off the bat where uh, the bus driver picks up the witches when they first return. And he says, what can, you know, what can I get you, ladies? Or where can I take you this evening? And they're like, we desire children. And he says, that well, might take me a couple of tries or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's just there's stuff like that that in this movie works. I think you had pointed out that Kathy and Jimmy flies around on a, a Hoover on a vacuum when she can't find her broom. That like, scene almost <laughs> kills me. The movie is so well done. It's so yeah. funny in subtle moments and, and funny for kids in the moments it's supposed to be. I think this absolutely, by definition, is a cult classic simply because that's something that did really poorly on first release but then just found legs in the back end and that that is true of this but has since become so widely popular it's absolutely mainstream i love this movie it's hilarious it's a lot of fun sit down watch with the kids everyone's gonna love it it's an absolute blast i couldn't recommend it more i give this one an eight out of ten 
for yeah and and just to clarify for a halloween family movie it's an eight out of ten yeah i think one reason it might not go a little higher for me is there's just one part that hurts so bad and it's the the choice that they made to overdub one of the characters early in the framework so the 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 boy version of thackeray binks who eventually turns into a cat they chose to overdub his voice so it kind of followed that rather than using the same voice actor like the voice of the actor and then using him to voice the cat they picked a different actor to voice the cat than the one who actually played the boy yeah and that, that, that you can see that in the movie yeah yeah. It, yeah you can see it and that bothers me it's like one of those things when things are out of sync slightly and words don't match up with their mouth it just bothers me enough that I, I don't appreciate those scenes as much because I'm like, can we get can we get through this and, and get on to the rest of the movie? That's really my biggest pet peeve with that movie. And it's it's stupid. It's an odd blemish on the movie. And it, it's just it's it's a little annoying. Yeah. All right. I think that's about it. I don't think we yeah. have to belabor it. It's awesome. No. Watch it. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. At the end of the day, I think we recommend all of these for kids and for yeah. a specific, you know, determine what is appropriate for your kids, for their age, that kind of stuff. But we tried to give you, like I said, a selection of movies that could appeal to any one given age group or another. Um, yeah. But, you know, while we personally may not have enjoyed certain things, and we give you those critiques just so that maybe you as the parent can be aware, or if you don't have kids and you just want to watch some family-friendly movies because you don't like horror movies, then you might want to take our criticisms a little bit more seriously. Yeah. Um, but if you are looking for something to watch with the family, recommend all of these for what they are and, and the value that they bring to this holiday and to that situation. Other than that, uh, that wraps us up, man. Next week is our final Halloween installment. I'm yeah. so excited. I'm going a little cuckoo bananas uh, <laughs> watching so, so much horror. Uh, and yeah. we're doing that for you, Kim. We're doing that for you. You asked for daily horror recommendations and you're getting it, Kim. Don't say we didn't do nothing for you. But next week is our final episode. It's another deep dive, our last deep dive. We're doing fact or fiction and we are talking about the conjuring so we're mm. going to be talking about the movie the conjuring just the first one not the second not annabelle not la llorona none of that stuff just the conjuring uh so we'll dive into that we'll dive into a little bit of the history of the warrens and some of their other weird kooky spooky yeah. stuff so much to talk about there and then obviously breaking down what is true and what is false about the specific family depicted in this movie it should be a lot of fun and we may even have another super special surprise we might have a guest host with us um, yeah other than that you can always find us on instagram daily posts monday through saturday uh stuff about the episodes other stuff movie reviews recommendations all that jazz at paused reviews check out the website pausedreviews.com with links to the podcast and all that other stuff obviously you listen to us wherever you get your podcast and you can also shoot us an email if that's how you roll uh pausedreviews at gmail.com and that is it and i am yep. out of breath Thank you all for joining us. As always, I'm your host, Frank. This is Tim. We'll catch you guys next week. See ya. Keep it spooky. <laughs> 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 oh, love it.